This is a podcast about sound, how it impacts your life and the people who are creating the sound of the future. Welcome to Powered by Audio, supported by EPOS. Based on pioneering audio technology, EPOS strives to unleash human potential by perfecting audio experiences. Learn more at eposaudio.com. I'm Randy Zuckerberg. In this episode, the crack of a bat, the swell of a crowd, the roar of an engine. If you've ever watched sports with the sound off, it just doesn't feel the same. Great audio not only adds to the fan experience, it's important to athletes too. Later, we'll talk with an IndyCar driver who depends on audio to help keep him in the race. Joseph Carpenter is the award-winning senior audio engineer and mixer for Fox Sports. His amazing sound makes us feel like we're in the expensive seats for NFL games, NCAA basketball, the Masters golf, and lots of other sports events. But he's probably most famous for his work on Major League Baseball's World Series. Joe, welcome to Powered by Audio. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Doing well. I'm very excited to hear everything that you have to say. I feel like not too many baseball fans know this, Joe, but your audio work has been a signature part of the World Series since when? When when was your first World Series? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, I've been trying for a long time. I've been doing the World Series since 1994, and then Fox picked it up in 96, and that's when Joe Buck, I think we're, we're exactly the same age. He started calling the World Series, I think, when he was 27 in 1996, so at least that long with Fox. Wow, it's awesome. So give us the lay of the land. How many mics and inputs are you working with at a World Series game? Paint us a picture. The one thing that's unique about baseball is that outside of the base paths that are 90 feet each and 60 feet, six inches from the pitcher's rubber to the plate, the rest of every Major League Baseball park is different. And they all have their little intricacies and they have different, you know, distances to the home runs and the foul poles and stuff. So we'll put out, I mean, we're up to now, since we started burying mics in the grass and all these other, you know, we have mics in the bases and all along the outfield wall and mics on players. I think we're up to, you know, in total, maybe around 80 or 85. Wow. We may use none of them, you know, some of them never, but you always have to have them just in case. You know, like a good example of that is we've been putting mics on the foul poles for years and years. And up until the 2019 World Series, when, uh, Howie Kendrick hit one off the foul pole and you heard it clang off it. We hadn't had one happen in I don't know how many years, but we still put them out there for how many hundreds of games without even using them. So designing the setup is really, I'm starting big for the person who's listening in your home surround theater system and has a really nice sound system and can customize it for themselves. And if you're listening in 5.1, it's really, that's the big, huge experience that I'm really going for. But I'm also accounting for the lowest common denominator, like somebody who just bought a Vizio flat screen that came with a preset on the audio, or maybe you're listening in your car or people listening on their phones now. And the technology has gotten so good that the audio, I mean, I'm amazed sometimes at how good it is even on my phone. So I'm accounting from the biggest to the smallest common denominator. Well, I know if you if you didn't have that mic, for sure you'd you'd need it <laughs> the one time that you didn't put it somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Murphy's Law, you know that. <laughs> so for baseball, it's all about the back crack. You know, everybody knows when that ball, when a guy barrels one up off the bat, I have announcers tell me all the time, like Joe, I work with Joe Buck all the time, and he's like, he knows that's a home run just from the sound. And it, you know, that that's been translated into a lot of other sports now too, like Paul Azinger when he calls golf. He can tell 
what kind of shot while it's in the air, you know, whether the guy struck it well by the sound of the club striking the ball. The sounds are recognized in that detail to mean something. And, and then also other sounds accompany those sounds. So when a guy hits a home run like that and you know it's gone, the crowd is going to go nuts if it's the home team crowd or it's a walk-off or something. So you're always preparing for that. You never know when that big moment's going to come. But you're still not taking any chances by not having a mic somewhere. The fine line is really working with the entity like Major League Baseball and trying to bring the athleticism and the excitement of the game without, you know, divulging any strategy or making somebody look silly because they said something. You know, so you kind of walk that fine line and try and make an even keel and just, you, you know, but the number one thing is to make it exciting and bring you more into the game through the sound. Now, maybe you can uh, take us through the experience in the control room. You're communicating with your team. Is it utter chaos? Is it calm? Like, what's going on in there during the game? My favorite people to work with and the most successful people in this business, I think, are those that work well under pressure. There's a reason that they've succeeded in this business. Sure, it's live television. It just has that essence to it. I've been listening to your podcast, and I, the Rick Allen, the Foley artist, you know, I'm thinking about listening to him, like how opposite my world is from his, you know, like he's going to go over and over and get the perfect sound. And, you know, I know that I only have one chance to get it. Like they're not going to hit the home run again. They're not going to hit that swish, that basket again to win the game. The crowd's got to be good. The other important thing that with big events anyway, I feel a responsibility to those archived highlights that are going to live in, you know, history. And you're going to see that moment, you know, thousands of times again, and they're going to replay it every time that team is involved in a series or something. So if you're not a little bit edgy and you're not trying to say, okay, I got to get focused here now, then I don't think you're really in the game. You know, like I, I couldn't trust anybody who says they, they don't have that feeling. So there is, a, in live sports and in the big moment, there certainly is some pressure. You feel it and you use that to your advantage for sure. You have to make all of these split-second decisions based on sound and follow the action. Are there times where you hear something in the game and the camera action has to follow you and what you're hearing? I think that's become more prevalent in television. I mean, historically, you're kind of trained to match the audio with the video that the director's cutting. And in today's world, with audio kind of being that next frontier, there are certainly times where I know something's going on that's so prevalent to what's happening, and I may or may not have a chance to tell the director, and I'll just open the mic instinctively, and they'll take a shot of it. And I would say... If I'm going to take that chance, nine times out of 10, it's going to pay off. You know, I've done some things that may not have been the best idea, I'm sure, but like rarely does that happen. But I'm the kind of guy that, and I tell my guys too, like, I want you going into your job. Like, I never want you thinking that I'm trying to do this job to not make a mistake. You're, you're absolutely right. Sometimes it drives the bus. Like there's a guy on the golf course talking to his caddy and they might not be shooting it. Some guys that I work with are comfortable with me kind of lowering their voices and pushing the microphone that, of the caddy talking to the golfer because now this is a big shot and they're prepping their shot. And I think even they would rather hear what's actually being planned than guessing what's going to be planned. For sure. I want to hear what that caddy's saying. It seems like every sport, I mean, while there are similarities, is a little bit different how you have to think about doing the audio. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about what makes baseball audio different from football or basketball or soccer or any of the other sports that you cover. Sure. So as I said before, the number one thing is it's the only sport where every stadium is different. I mean, in football, the stadium may be different, but the field is still the exact dimensions and you're still the same distance away with your microphones and you still only have certain weapons to use to capture that sound. And you can only get so close to the action. And with baseball, 
now that I've kind of developed a trust with the league and, and our liaisons with the league, and they kind of trust me to place these microphones on a trial basis to capture the athleticism, now it becomes, you know, baseball for sure is the most unique. And there may be something really unique to that ballpark. Like uh, some examples of that would be in San Francisco where the Giants play, you could actually hit a home run into the water in McCovey Cove if you hit it over the right field wall. And there are guys out there in canoes paddling to get the ball. And if I'm doing a big game there, you know, people think I'm crazy, but I'll meet a guy every morning that I'll give him some fox hats and shirts and stuff to put a microphone on his canoe. So when the ball goes in there, not only do I hear it splash down, but I, I hear everybody clamoring for the ball. And then like in Cleveland, there's a guy that beats this huge drum in center field. So I'll have a mic on that drum. So it, you feel like you're right there with the guy beating the drum. The audio can certainly, even if it's subliminally, change your perspective. And, and you know, I try and take you from a huge, wide crowd anticipation moment to maybe a pitcher turns around and tries to pick a guy off of the base. So I try and collapse everything down, you know, so that subliminally your perspective changes to you at that base. And then now when it comes back out to the full stadium roar, you certainly feel it. The audio will certainly change your emotional perspective of that moment. Are you communicating a lot with other members of the broadcast team too? Are there conversations that we're not hearing? Uh, yes. Every announcer on the, his control box in front of him has a button called Talkback. And when they hit that button, that's how they talk without talking on the air. You know, So if they're, they're, their headset is live and open, but they hit this button, it, it sends it to another. So there's a speaker in front of the producer and a speaker in my room in case he has to talk to me. But some of the stuff that I hear on Talkback, you know, especially when Tim McCarver was in the booth with us, like I remember one particular instance, the team is coming back out on the field, or the I'm sorry, the third out's made, and he's on Talkback telling the director, hey, give me a shot of the third baseman that made that last out. Can you shoot him real quick? And what was happening was when you make the third out in baseball and you have the ball in your hand, you throw it back to the mound for the next pitcher, right? You're using the same ball. So to get in the other team's head, the guys on the one team were throwing it, you know, he knows the pitcher's coming out of the first base dugout. They're throwing it purposely over towards the third base side of the mound. So he has to go all the way over and get it just to get in his head. And Tim McCarver's the only one noticing that. Nobody would ever notice that. Like, we should have recorded his talk back. You know, because there were times where I was like, he should say that on the air. You know, like, that was so cool what he said. He had such an insight to the game. Okay, Joe, I'm not going to test our audio people here on the podcast right now by cursing, but how do you deal with profanity during live sports events? Once we get to, you know, the World Series, there's a person in Los Angeles at headquarters in Pico. Their sole job is to listen with a trigger gun, with it has an actual trigger on it. We call it the plunger. So if they hear somebody curse, they have six seconds to hit that plunger. And I have developed a system where instead of everything going quiet, they hit that plunger and I have replacement audio coming from the stadium that's just generic crowd noise that will take away the profanity and just put in the generic crowd noise. That's awesome. So tell us what's next. Where do you see the future of audio and live sports coverage? And, and what would make watching a game even more of an immersive experience for those at home? Well, I think ideally for me, I would have it mandated that Major League Baseball uniforms have a pocket sewn into them that I can put, you know, mic microphone transmitters are so small now that I could have a mic on every player and then at my discretion use that for effects audio and not conversation. But on the other hand, we've gotten some awesome recorded sounds that nobody would ever think would be going on in a baseball game. And all of a sudden we replay a guy talking to somebody 
you know, like a couple of years ago in, in Chicago when the Cubs were going to win it, uh, we had a mic on David Ross, who was the catcher, and there was a rookie in the dugout came up to him and just casually was like, man, I've never been here before. I'm, man, I, how do you deal with this nervousness, man? I don't even know if I can play. And David Ross was like, yeah, well, wait till about the eighth inning. You know, it's, it's only going to get worse. You can't do that with pictures, you know, like that is certainly driven by the audio. So it sounds like you already have tons of microphones all over these games, but in your ideal world, you'd put even more microphones there. For sure. If you're asking where I think the next frontier is, it's certainly customized viewing. Golf is a great example because at the Masters, you can watch feature groups. You can watch AMA Corner. You can watch four, holes four, five, and six, holes 15 and 16, uh, whatever, you know, and you pick and choose. And this also comes into play because you're going to get uh, a golfer to agree to wear a microphone. Our next guest is going to tell us all about the sounds of IndyCar. Motorsports coverage must be a really difficult audio challenge. Uh, I mean, that's such a loud sport. How does motorsports audio coverage differ from team sports that we're talking about? Well, I think the advances that they've made in motorsports are listening in on those pit radio conversations. I'm always impressed with the radio conversations that they get because, you know, even with the little graphics that follow the cars, like I, I, you know, you don't really know that the guy, he knows he only has so much gas or he's got to get new tires or that I think is the cool part of that because the effects of the track itself, like you said, is so loud that really the challenges in that are those speed shots. They come by that tight shot on the turns, you know, boom, 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 boom. And I'm not diminishing anybody's skills at all, but it's a little bit easier to capture that than it is to really kind of dig and milk for the nuances of other sports. You probably have the perfect video and audio setup at home for watching sports. What do you recommend to our listeners to feel like they're at the game when we're just really all in our living rooms? Well, I'll tell you, in another room in my house, I just bought my first soundbar. For four or $500 now, you can get a really nice soundbar with some satellite surround speakers. Sometimes I'll do stuff just in the rear speakers that's only for those people listening in surround. So you may not know at home ever that what's happening unless you have that capability. So that's awesome. <laughs> I would advise to get your surround speakers working just for those little special things that I deliver just for those listeners. I love it. Like little Easter egg just yeah, for uh, those little for... Easter eggs. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Finally, I want to listen to some of your amazing audio. I want to go back a few years because it's so memorable and because this earned you your 11th Emmy for live events audio. Congratulations. Your friends at Fox shared this clip from the final game of the National League Championship Series in 2016. Here's Joe Buck calling the double play that sent the Chicago Cubs to the World Series for the first time since 1945. Left side. Out. Out. The Cubs have won the pennant. So at this point, the announcing team stays quiet for over three minutes and just lets the cameras and your audio tell the story. I mean, what what was that like? I was even surprised that Joe didn't talk for that long, I have to say. But he is, you know, all bias aside, all the best announcers are better at knowing when not to talk. And that is probably the perfect example of that. They have that song in Chicago that goes, like, go Cubs, go, and everyone's singing along. And then we were taking those shots of the streets, and of course, like you said, I'm thinking I'm never going to use those microphones I have out on those towers in Wrigleyville on the streets. But sure enough, now the blimp and the other cameras are shooting those people in the streets, and I'm hearing all of that. 
And then we're cutting to bars in Chicago where I have a microwave camera with a mic on it of people going crazy. Following that in its excitement, there's no need for commentary on that. You know, the excitement and the electricity there, I think that told the, the audio certainly told the story there. It's really amazing. And on behalf of Cubs fans everywhere who got chills in that moment, they have you to thank for that wonderful memory for the rest of their lives. Joe Carpenter, thanks for giving us a whole new appreciation for the sound of sports. It's been great chatting with you today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Powered by Audio is proudly supported by EPOS. EPOS has become the global audio partner of the Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One team. World-class communication tools are vital for top performance in Formula One racing and in your business. With clear sound and innovative voice enhancement technologies, EPOS is unleashing human potential wherever success matters. Find out more at eposaudio.com. For our next guest, start your engines. Marcus Erickson is driving the number eight Husky Chocolate Honda in his third season in the NTT IndyCar Series. Prior to that, Marcus competed in Formula One racing for five years. He's the pride of his hometown, Kumla, Sweden, and he's joining us now from Indianapolis, Indiana. Marcus Erickson, welcome to Powered by Audio. Thank you so much. From go-kart racing to Formula One and IndyCar, you've been racing since you were nine years old. I'd love to hear a little about your journey. Yeah, it's been my whole life. It's been about racing. started with uh, go-karts and uh, sort of stepped through the ladder, I, I guess. Being a, a kid from Sweden, you know, Formula One was a dream, but not really something that I felt maybe was achievable. I became the first actually Formula One driver from Sweden in 24 years when I did my debut there in, in Australia in 2014. Now to be in IndyCar, which is, uh, you know, something I was dreaming of as a kid growing up. I'm very happy to be able to do what I love. What an amazing accomplishment. And yes, I'm sure so much hard work. Maybe you can set the scene a little bit for any of our listeners who don't know too much about motorsports. First of all, how fast are you going in an IndyCar race? So in IndyCar, we drive at some tracks called super speedways, which is basically ovals. And on them tracks, we we go super fast. So we basically have top speeds at around 240 miles per hour. So it's uh, it's pretty insane, uh, especially when you think we're not alone on tracks. It's usually another twenty five cars around you that you drive side by side with, and you all all you have around you is a concrete wall and a fence. People do call us crazy, and it's probably true. <laughs> I can relate. My Volkswagen once went ninety miles an hour. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's also fast. You know? <laughs> um, how many cars compete in a race? I would say on average in in the car, it's around 25 cars. Some races, there would be some more, some races, maybe some less, but yeah, on average, 25 cars. Okay, so you're alone in the driver's seat, but every success has a big team behind them. So how many people support you on your team and what do they do? Like you say, it's a big team that, that makes it work. So I have, I would say, around 15 persons that works directly on my car uh, during a race. So that's all from uh, mechanics to data engineers, race engineer, systems engineer, team manager, 
I would say I probably forgot someone, but yeah, and, and then yeah, a group of mechanics. So uh, obviously, it's it goes a lot into strategy, uh, what tires to use, uh, when to do your pit stops, the actual pit stops. You need a pit crew to be fast in changing tires, fueling the car. It's, it's definitely a team effort. If you're gonna win in 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 top level motorsports, you really need a strong team around you. Do you have a, a favorite or a most memorable race that you've driven in? Oh, um, I would say my first ever Formula One race back in 2014 in Australia, Melbourne, Australia, is something I will always remember because it was just as long as I remember, you know, I was always dreaming of becoming a Formula One driver. And when I finally became one and did my first race, the, it was very special. It's something I will always remember. And also I would say like to say my first Indy 500 uh, here in Indianapolis that I did in 2019, which is like the biggest race in the world. It's 400,000 people there watching on race day. It's like in completely crazy. I, I've never seen so much people uh, in my life, I would say. So that was uh, also something uh, very, very special. So exciting. Marcus, our podcast is called Powered by Audio, and that really fits motorsports. I mean, you command so much power behind the wheel. You're constantly using audio. I'm curious, how important is audio and sound in racing? It is very important, especially these days. We have direct radio with the pit wall. So I speak with my team manager, uh, which is doing my strategy, but also with my engineer. So basically when I'm out driving, I'm communicating how the car is uh, behaving on track to try and paint them a picture of how the car is uh, handling. And you also have race control on the radio. If something happens, they could go out and say there is accident in a certain corner. So that helps for safety. And then when we do the oval races, uh, we also have something called a spotter. So that's a person that sits quite high up in the arena and sees all the track. And he basically tells you about the cars around you. So he tells you if there's a car uh, behind you, if there's a car beside you, uh, inside or outside of you, and, and really helps you, especially when you're doing you know speeds up around 200, 230, 240 miles per hour. So we, we do um, have a lot of uh, radio chatter that's very, very important for us to be able to race. Okay, so this radio chatter, so you're wearing a headset, and the spotters talking to you. Who else is talking to you? Is it like, is it chaos on your headset? Or <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to sort of try and uh, yeah get people to not talk too much because it's, it can get exciting in a race. It's, it's also very personal. You know, some drivers they like their spotter and pit crew to talk to them constantly. Some want less of it. Uh, some drivers talk constantly with their spotter and pit crew. It's also something you you need to work out with your specific crew, I would say. Uh, me personally, I, I don't like to talk so much when I'm driving. I'm busy enough to try and drive the thing as fast as possible, but I like to get a lot of information. So I have my spotter keeping me updated quite a lot on the cars behind me, the cars in front of me, if they're catching me, if I'm catching them, etc. And then I also like to keep updated from the pit wall you know, where we are in the race, which position, how many laps we have to go until we're planning on doing a pit stop. So usually there is, I would say, three persons on my radio. So it's the spotter, the team manager, and my engineer. Uh, and the best uh, thing is if they don't talk all at the same time, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> which can happen. 
it's a lot of things going on uh, that you maybe don't see when you sort of just uh, switch on the TV and watch a race. It's it's a lot more than than you see. So, Marcus, I've heard that you have some special lingo that you use between you and your spotter on the radio. Anything that you can share with us? Yeah, so the spotter I have now is a, is a proper um, old school uh, racer from the southern. But yeah, usually what he always says when I come out of the pits, like just keep rolling, keep rolling, you know, and, and stuff like that. Just like that I should accelerate out of the pits. Like I'm not doing that, but, you know, I'm, I'm always doing that. But he is always saying that and... Yeah, his his accent, a very sudden accent, just makes it uh, sound pretty good as well. Gets me excited. I don't know why. <laughs> that is a good one. I'm I'm like envisioning him saying like "keep rolling," and yeah, you're like, exactly. you're like, well, I wasn't gonna stop. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's so it's so funny. But he gets you know he gets into it, and he's like, "Keep rolling, keep rolling." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm flat out here. I'm you're trying. like, yes, that that's the point. That's the <laughs> yeah. point here. <laughs> I heard that the public could hear your radio too. Is that true? And like, do you ever worry about that they're going to hear you cursing or like being really angry or anything? That's also, you know, a great thing with technology. It just uh, goes, um, makes the experience better and better for the fans. And now, like you say, the people watching can sit at home in in the sofa watching it on TV, and they can actually think through the app of uh, of in the car. They can choose what driver they want to. Uh, hear the radio so they can hear my radio constantly and yeah hear me moaning about other drivers or or whatever so yeah you need to keep that in mind as well (laughs) you're like i need to bite my tongue while i'm driving (laughs) it's not always so easy when you're like pumping of adrenaline and and everything but yeah (laughs) of course we've talked about the spotter a lot what makes a perfect spotter because i'm trying to get in my head and think what kind of person is like i'm gonna grow up to be a spotter like what what skill sets do you need? So you need to have a first of a clear voice. It's, it's important because you don't want someone that's it's difficult to understand what you're saying. Because obviously, when you're doing so high speeds, you need to get the information very quickly and clearly. No mumbling. No mumbling, exactly. <laughs> and then you also need a person that doesn't get too emotionally attached to the race, if you understand what I mean. Because if something happens, you cannot have a spotter that starts to freak out and like get stressed because then you don't know what's happening and you get stressed. So you need someone that can stay calm even though if things go very wrong or if there is a crash, for example, you know, you need the spotter to be still keep calm and give you the correct information. Uh, I know some spotters, you know, you scream out like, ah, crash, crash, crash. And then like, that doesn't help That's you. That's not helpful. <laughs> no, you, you need to know what, you know, where the crash is, what corner, where the cars or the wrecks are and stuff like that. So you need someone that uh, can keep their calm as well. Hmm. Can you think of a specific situation where sound or audio made a big difference for you in your race? I know that's, that's putting you on the spot a little. I would say in every race, there is moments where, where it makes a big difference. In situations where there is crashes, it's extremely important because otherwise you can get um, tangled up in the crashes. The radio call, they can make or break a race because it's all about you know these details and that uh, mean you win or maybe finish fifth. So I don't know a specific case, but it's yeah, pretty much every race you have situations where the radio calls make a big difference for your end result. 
Marcus, when you're thinking about racing and and stepping up to one of these big races, what are some of your favorite sounds that you hear? Uh, Your favorite car sounds or sounds that just get you super pumped? For me, back in the day when F1 had V8s or V10s and stuff like that, the sound they were making uh, was just something from from a different world, I would say. So I think that that was uh, very special. I think what we have now in IndyCar is still pretty impressive. You know, it's a, a 2.4 liter twin turbo V6. So it's it's a pretty awesome engine and it makes a pretty raw sound. So that's definitely, you know, when that engine gets fired up, it definitely gets me excited. And I think a lot of fans as well. So that's a cool thing with, uh, with racing. You know, it's um, the sounds of the engines. It's definitely a very big part of the show and also the experience for for people that come watch the races live. It's one thing to sit in the sofa and watch, but when you go there and get the whole experience with the sound, with the atmosphere, it really makes it a different thing. Yeah, that was great. Now I'm I'm like, I need to get my tickets to the Indy 500, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> you have to have done it in your life. You have to be into the Indy 500. Even if you're like not a racing fan, it's still such a cool experience with 400,000 people, with all the things like they have like the um, Air Force uh, doing the show before pre-race and uh, all these things and the actual race in that the speeds we do it like two, oh, 200 plus miles per hour. It's just something very special. So Totally. I've been learning so much during this interview. And what I'm figuring out is that this is not a job for shy people because there's just a, a lot of talking and, and chatter. All right. I want to talk about you, Marcus. What are your career goals? If we sit down again in a few years, what would make you think, yes, I was so successful? Yeah, so I reached my dream of becoming a Formula One driver. I did five years there and, you know, that was great. But then three years ago, I took the decision to move to America. To So I live here in America. I drive in the car. And I really enjoyed that. It's been so much fun. It's been a big challenge as well because the racing here in, in America is very different to what I was used to back in Europe. So it's been a bit of a learning curve for me. I would say the first two years has been about learning the racing, the differences basically. And I still haven't got my first win in IndyCar. I've been on the podium. I finished second, but I haven't won a race yet. So that's one of the big goals I have for this year to win my first IndyCar race. But then, of course, I, I also want to win the championship. I want to be the best. You know, that's that's my goal. That's why we do it. So that's definitely my long-term goal, to be an IndyCar champion and also to win the Indy 500, which is our, you know, big, big race that we have every year. So that's some of the goals I have. Uh, as always, you take it step by step. But uh, in a few years' time, that's definitely what I w- would like to have achieved. Well, I'm definitely going to be rooting for you to win the the Indy 500 and and other events. I'm really appreciative that you took the time today to chat with us. Final question. Before you began your career, I know you were a huge fan of racing and motorsports. All these years later, is it ever boring or do you still get super excited every time you hear the engine revving? It never gets boring. <laughs> I, I have to say, you know, it's I'm definitely living my dream. That's that's for sure, and I love what I do. What could be boring is all the traveling around it, because it's it is a lifestyle to be a racing driver. You know, you never race at the same place. You really need to dedicate your life to it, but it's worth it every second. You know, I I love what I do, so yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. 
That's wonderful. Well, Marcus, we have interviewed a lot of people with exciting jobs for this podcast, but I think you win. So good, <laughs> <That's awesome>. good, <laughs> luck. <laughs> good luck in the Indy 500. We'll be rooting for you and throughout the entire racing season. Thanks so much for joining us on Powered by Audio. Thank you. And stay safe, okay? I'm a yeah. mom, I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I will try my best. <laughs> My thanks again to our experts on the sound of sports, Fox Sports audio engineer Joseph Carpenter and IndyCar driver Marcus Erickson. On the next Powered by Audio, if there's an emergency in North America, you call 911. In Britain, it's 999. And throughout most of Europe, it's 112. On our next episode, we find out what happens on the other end of those calls. And we'll talk with someone in the tower at the airport who helps our flights land safely audio that saves lives on our next episode of Powered by Audio. It's supported by EPOS. Find out more at eposaudio.com. Speaking of audio, if you like what you heard, please give us a review and be sure to click the follow button to receive that next episode. I'm Randy Zuckerberg. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 